Hey y'all, welcome to Blonde Moments Podcast, Oprah Winfrey's favorite podcast. How do I know this? I don't. We're just going to believe that. <laughs> I'm Melinda Collins. And I'm Gina Bogie. Wouldn't that be something if we were Oprah's favorite podcast? Well, I just found out we are of the you know top 100. We're 63 in Lithuania. Oh, yes. I love that. And we're like 100 and something in Denmark. So shout out to y'all. Yeah. Keeping us alive. I love it. My aunt had a foreign exchange student from Denmark. His name was Soren. Oh, I had such a crush on him when I was, was a kid. Was he cute? I mean, I thought so. I I could walk past him tomorrow and not know not what he looked like. But he is. she also had a foreign exchange student from Brazil. Whew, I thought he was cute. <laughs> but now, like I've seen him on Facebook, I'm like, yeah, I think. He How was old just... were you? I was little, like seven. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Being horned up around in my veins. Yeah, all horned up from an early age. You know no? what I think it was? I think it was like they would pay attention to me when I was a kid. They would play with me. You know, not yeah. nope. Don't get that look in your eye. I mean, like we, they play games with me. Yes. So you get that attention. You get like a little crush. So I think yeah. that's what it was. Aww. You damn perv. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're the one who said they'd play with you. I didn't know where you were going with it. Not. We talk about all kinds of fucked up shit here, so. If this is the first I brought to your attention that I had been sexually abused as a child. I would be concerned. Yeah. yeah. We've known each other for how many years? I bring years? it up so nonchalant and, uh, you know, <laughs> after finding out Oprah Winfrey loves us. <laughs> Dear Oprah, thank you for loving us, even though you probably don't know who we are. <laughs> you know what? I bet she'd get down with this podcast. Though. I bet so. You know, we started this podcast just saying we just wanted to have fun, and we are still to this day having fun doing it. Yes. So it doesn't feel like a job. It doesn't no. feel stressful. So I, I guess whether forward. one person listens to us or one thousand, like we're we we love each and every one of you. We sure do. And y'all brighten our days. Well, we had put a fun little post up um, if anyone needed advice, like, dear Mel and Gina, <laughs> like, dear Abby. Uh, so we'll answer two of those Dear today. Mel Gina. Dear M- <laughs> Mel Gina. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I'm really excited about is I didn't look at all, so I don't know any of these questions. Okay, perfect. So the first one, what's the ideal way to approach a girl if you have a thing for them at a bar or a beach? Okay, those are two very different scenarios. Yeah. I feel like a beach... See, that's so hard without like seeming like you're creepy because a girl's like half naked essentially, Mm -hmm. right? And supposedly you are too. Yeah. Whether you're a guy or a girl, I don't know who wrote this in, but what, you know... It's a guy. Okay, but he's just wearing shorts, Right. I'd imagine. Yeah, you don't want to do something cheesy like, do you need help with the sunscreen on your back? Yeah, that would creep me out. (laughs) That would creep me out. And don't try the, oh, let's throw a football and I'll catch it and fall onto your towel. (laughs) No. (laughs) Man, the beach, that would be a tough one. I think like the best way, even in both scenarios, is to... Just find some commonality, like maybe, I don't know, you think her hair is attractive or, you know, something like that and just start out like cute. Yeah, like a cute conversation. Or if they're listening to music, you know, be like, oh, I like that song, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, you know, let's say they're jamming out to some Post Malone. See, I'm trying to sound hip, like I know. (laughs) And just be like, you know, oh, yeah, like I like this rapper, right? He's considered a rapper. <laughs> we we are terrible at this. I did say No, no, I have a point. Okay. I do have a point. You can say I'd like, you know, oh, you like Post Malone, me too. Maybe we could go to a concert together and see him sometime, you know, obviously without covid being around. Right. But like cute, like think cutesy. Yeah. Girls not like cheesy, cute. think cutesy. Mhm. But that would get my attention way more than some guy like peacocking on the beach. Yeah. I don't I like that. At a bar, I think it's a different scene, right? Like everybody's kind of already loose, so, you know, if you've been drinking and things mm-hmm. like that. But the bar is the easier of the scenario. You just yes. put something in her drink. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
I would think the bar is the easier scenario because people are already a little bit looser from having drinks and things like that. But again, I would use the same approach. Be genuine, you know, be genuine. Don't be cheesy or weird. Yeah, it's mostly just strike up a conversation. Yeah. Maybe have a list of things or questions. And you know what? We all love to talk about ourselves. You get anybody talking about themselves, that person's going to walk away, maybe not knowing anything about you, but they are going to genuinely like you. Yeah. So, you know, have a couple of questions up your sleeve, like, you know, you can have your basics, what do you do for work or whatever, but maybe try to even think a little bit more creative. Like, what's a good creative question you can ask somebody? I don't know if she has cute shoes on. Your shoes are so cute. Where'd you get them? No, because if a guy came up to me and was like, oh my God, your shoes are so cute. I'm bad at this because I've been out of the dating scene for so long. But I would just think like, he's not into women. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, you, you know, know what? what? Just a good question. I don't know. I, I said we may not be the best at giving advice. <laughs> I think I'm giving good advice. <laughs> I think have, I'm like, not. <laughs> have some questions. You, they can be pretty generic too, but you keep asking the girl or if you're looking to talk to a guy, you ask them questions and the more they're talking about themselves, they're going to feel more comfortable because you seem interested in, in them. them. Yeah, versus talking about yourself. The worst is when you have a guy that's like, I do this, I do that, I have this, I have that, you know, and you're like, oh. And you don't even know him too already and you're like, oh, this guy's a major douche. Yeah, so impressed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's always, you know what, I am still a firm believer asking to buy somebody a drink goes a long way. Like, I always think it's still like just a show, not chauvinistic, what's the chivalrous, chivalrous way to be like, I'm a man. Let me let me take care of you. Let me buy you a drink and ask you questions about yourself. Or if she's there with girlfriends, offer to buy her girlfriends a drink too. Always a good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have a lot of money, stick with the questions. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Don't go broke over this or anything. But I will tell you what piqued my interest with my husband when we first started talking was he didn't do just the whole Facebook chat or texting. He actually called me on the phone and we talked. It blew my mind. Now, that may be because I'm a little bit older, right, than like, you know, people now in their 20s. I mean, I was in my 20s when I met him, but I... That just totally rocked my world. Like, oh my God, he actually called me? Like, he, it just shows that you're interested. See, we need to yeah. switch this back here. We're getting too far away from like real human interaction. Yeah, all the texting and messaging and yada, yada. I mean, I was in my 20s when I met my husband as well, too, but he was kind of a dick when I met him. <laughs> yeah, we heard your story yeah. at T Mobile. So I guess that worked for me. <laughs> Be a dick. <laughs> I guess it depends, huh? (laughs) I'm the opposite. If you're an ass, (sighs) I was turned off right away. That is not my jam. I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? I want to fuck him. (laughs) (laughs) But see, now, if he would have been nice, you were still attracted to him. So it probably would have worked out either way. Mm. No? I don't know. I hate to say this. Oh, it's going to sound bad. I don't like the real nice guys well i i do but you don't like i there's there obviously we know i've talked about it i broke up with a guy because he was too nice right. well there's a difference between being too nice and being nice okay yeah like being i want the nice too guy nice i mean don't get me wrong my husband's nice he's a very nice guy like he's a great guy but if he was too nice it wouldn't work for me mm-hmm. you know you, you know what just be yourself i like that little bit of spunk that little bit of Mm-mm. individuality yeah i'm gonna put you in your place when you're way out of line not let me get away with everything because i'm that type of person if you let me get away with everything i'm gonna keep pushing it huh we're just two very different people we are and that's what makes this <laughs> relationship work yeah we're like yin and yang mm-hmm. or yin and yang whatever it is I hope that answered your question or at least gives you a little insight. Um, They're probably still confused as fuck. It's you can fine. probably do whatever the hell you want and it's either going to be hit or miss, I guess. Uh, here's the, the don'ts. Don't send unwanted dick pics after if you get the number. That's rule number one. Rule number one. <laughs> 
Rule number two, just continue to be polite. You know, I think that goes a long way as well, too. Polite? Yeah, like sweet, polite, okay. nice, but not when too nice. When I hear nice. polite, it's like, thank you, please. No, I mean like opening her car door yes, or something oh my, like this that. This is the chivalry. Yeah. This is, oh my God, it goes, you know why? Especially this will, oh, dudes, this will set you so far apart nowadays. Because I'll call them boys. Boys don't do that. Men yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. That will, that is your freaking foot in the door. Yeah. Open a door for a lady, pull out her chair. What I mean, anything that you can do to be chivalrous, whew, home run for these panties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yes. guess that's what I mean by polite, like doing things like that, small gestures, you know, like my husband will still open the car door for me. But I, you know? to me, that's more chivalry than it is being polite. polite. Yeah. Like polite is like putting your napkin in your lap and making <laughs> sure your fork is on the right side of your plate and, you know. <laughs> so I actually think we answered that and knocked it out of the park because chivalry is it, not dead. It should not be. Yeah. And if it is for all those boys, men this is your opportunity. And don't be over chivalrous, though, because then that makes it corny. You it gotta, does. And, dude, you'll get played so fast. Yeah. Like, don't you be buying, like, that, like, expensive purses, line. shit like that. Oh, mm-hmm. you'll, she'll just use and abuse you because mm-hmm. we're bitches. <laughs> That's what we do. You got to walk that fine line, right? Of, like, being chivalrous, yes, but not letting somebody take advantage of you. You mm-hmm. have, it, it's, it is a fine line. It is a dance, right? Yeah. Man, I'm so glad I'm not single right now because I would be so bad at it. I just, I mean, God, I just remember, you know, Maddie, he would open doors for me, open my car door, and I was like, that bitch was drip, drip, dripping. And I was like, whew, man. Because honestly, I feel like it, you just didn't get that anymore. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't see a whole lot of it anymore. And that's sad. Like, because mm-hmm. women, we deserve to be fucking treated like the queens we are. Hell yeah. Parach. <laughs> Next question. Does size matter? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, generally, I will say there is some truth to that. Yes. And again, I do think this is very personal because I know some women who are like, I don't prefer a larger one. So I think it is a personal thing. But I think if you were to do percentage wise, generally, yes, I do think size matters. It does. Yes, I I can't lie here and say that because I can't either. I, I really can't. Um, but whew. you have learned from us on this podcast. If you don't, you're not packing a lot of something, something, there's other things you can do. And the main thing is, what's our rule number one? Take care of her. Yep. Right? Her. Mm-hmm. Because she's going to remember all the things that you did to compensate for the lack of the size. The size, yeah. I mean, there was one guy I dated, or I mean, let's be honest, we just fucked. But he was, and it was in my early 20s, he was an attractive guy. He was super nice. Like we vibed, we had a good time, but he was not even average. And it bothered me. It bothered me because I was like, I can't, you know, like, and and he wasn't a pleaser. So that bothered me too. You know what? Maybe if he would have been more of a pleaser, it wouldn't have bothered me as Mm -hmm. much. Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So even average is fine, you know, like you don't have to be a fucking, you know, Pringles can or anything. Yeah, you know? I don't want that either, though. No, there is such a thing as too big. Or too many dicks, which we've also learned of the mm-hmm. man who had two penises. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would still, if I was young, single Gina, I would <laughs> still totally try to do the two dick man, but <laughs> one in the pink, one in the stink. <laughs> Okay, question number three. <laughs> no, we're just doing two today. Okay. But I, man, I think we are like so good at those. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have any other questions or anything you need advice on, whether it's something with your family or friends or yourself or whatever, you can DM us. We will try our best to answer. Maybe we're good at it. Maybe we're terrible. <laughs> I think we are so good at it. Everyone's going to be like, we're not getting advice from these bitches. I think they were pretty good advice. Well, let's hope so. Well, I have a fun story to share that was sent in by one of our listeners, Sherry. And 
I could save it for Mixed Bag of Nuts, but I was like, fuck it. It's too good not to share. So she said she listened to the Childhood Stories episode and thought of two embarrassing stories that she wants to share. I love that there's not one but two. Uh-huh. First, I was about six or seven years old and my babysitter got a phone call explaining what happened. I was staying with my mom for the summer. My parents had divorced and lived cross country, so I didn't know the other kids in her apartment complex very well. I wanted to be cool when a boy said he knew what sex was and wanted to try. So I volunteered. (laughs) Six or seven years old, mind you, she is. (laughs) A group of five or six kids stood in a circle around us underneath an outdoor stairwell. He took off his shirt and laid on the ground. I laid on top of him, fully clothed, and he said, that's it. (laughs) What is his role model doing? That's a quickie. I thought, really? (laughs) I don't see what the big deal is. Needless to say, my babysitter explained that was not sex, but that I shouldn't do it again, which was a mortifying and confusing conversation. For sure. That's funny. (laughs) He was quick. He was on the bottom, too. He made her go on top. He was a lazy fucker. Like, like worse than me. (laughs) That was like instantaneously done. He just laid down, took his shirt off, and he was like, that's it. That's what I'm saying. Like, who has he seen doing it? I don't know. And that's like, man, his dad must just jizz real fast. (laughs) (laughs) Flash forward a few years, sixth grade. I got home from school and there was a message on the answering machine. A woman from the local YMCA, where everyone hung out on Friday nights, called to inform my dad that your daughter was caught French kissing a boy in the ball pit. (laughs) At which point I immediately erased the message. A few minutes later, my dad came out of his room and asked if we had any messages. I had no idea he was home, but said no anyways. I got grounded for two weeks. One for kissing boys and one for lying about it. (laughs) She said, what can I say? I always like to have a good time. Love you, girls. Well, we love you, too. Thanks for sending that in. I love it. Do you remember the days of an answering machine Mm -hmm. where you would like, if there was anything from the school or... I was a teacher's pet, so it was only pleasant things for me. I was not, so... (laughs) See how yin and yang we really are? Yeah, man, if if I could hide something from Dale, ooh, you better believe I would hide it. (laughs) And the worst thing was, was that was when everything got sent through the mail. Like there wasn't really much emailing Mm -hmm. and stuff when I, you know, like I guess I'm aging myself here. Um, Everything was sent by carrier pigeons. (laughs) By carrier pigeons. (laughs) My dad worked at the post office, so he literally got the mail before it even fucking came to the house. Man. I was fucked. You were. Report cards, like everything. Detentions. My dad said he could have wallpapered my wall with my detention slips. <laughs> what were you getting detention for? I mean, anything. Yelling shit in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> like literally the word shit? Yeah, I still remember that detention. It said yelling and it said shit in, you know, quotation Why marks were you just in the hallway. shit down the hallway? I was a rotten kid. I was a bad so kid. So you don't even remember the context of why you were yelling shit. I was just probably being an asshole. You're just like down the hole like, shit! <laughs> shit! Oh, man. I had detention all the time. Being disruptive, you know, sneaking things in the classroom, skipping class. See, and I was the opposite. I think I had detention one time, and it scared the life out of me and never happened again. Not me. I was like, another one of these? Cool. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> rolling up your sleeve with your pack of cigarettes in there oh passing each other out like i got detention for that too that's right we talked about that about passing people out i was just a little rebel Uh uh-huh just a little shit yelling shit down the hallways Mm -hmm. damn (laughs) naughty naughty i would have whooped your ass too yeah well trust me Dale was like, what now? What now? Dad, if you were feeding me proper nutrition and not Velveeta's blocks. And chunky, Campbell's chunky soup. Well, that this is news. This is a new food group. <laughs> <laughs> I legit almost just spit out my champagne. Yeah, that's what I usually... I'm so sorry I left this out. That is what I usually ate with the... 
the Velveeta cheese sandwiches. But with he just chunky gave, he gave you a whole can too, didn't he? In your either lunch. that or Dinty Moore. Oh, Din- Dinty Moore. <laughs> God. Was your dad like shopping for groceries at a farmer's store? No, we had this place in, I grew up in this small town called Bering Springs, Michigan. Very few things made it famous except number one, one of the largest Seventh-day Adventist uh, universities is there called Andrews University. And number two, Muhammad Ali, he lived and retired in Bering Springs, Michigan. Interesting. In a big old mansion. But the Seventh-day Adventist they don't eat like meat or anything like that. And there was this grocery store called Apple Valley, which I believe is still there. And that was like the only place my dad would shop at. And that's where he got that, you know, awful bread. I just picture like, you know how Home Depot has their little food section where there's like candy, maybe bread, some chips. That's where I picture your dad grocery shopping. Oh, there was one other place he shopped. It was the only other grocery store in town. And it was like called Schrader's. It was like family owned. And I don't even know if that's still there. I have no idea. I haven't been back to Berrien Springs in so long. Does he still live there? No, he lives in Indiana now. Okay. But I mean, my high school was like 90 people in my graduating class. Oh, I don't think I was much more. It was a t- It's a tiny <laughs> town. Like you blink and you miss it. Bunch of farmland. Oh, to be a fly on the wall during... Gina's childhood. I think that's why I got in so much trouble because I was bored, man. I was fucking bored. So we would cause trouble. My friends and I, we would cause some trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Making shit sandwiches and sneaking out of windows and screaming shit down the hallways. Mm -hmm. Sorry, dad. (laughs) I, before we get into our true crime, I had talked about scroll up farts before. Remember? Oh, because we have roll up farts. But I found out who had sent me this, and her name's Sarah. And she said, Hello, beautiful. Listening to your latest episode where you mentioned roll up farts again. I died when you and Gina first brought it up in the past because I'll randomly get them, and I thought it just happened to me. Anyways, (laughs) then I started thinking, do guys fart and it tickles their balls? If so, it should be called scroll up farts, scrotum farts. I'd be interested to know if that happens to them as well. Thanks for bringing sunshine to this weird year. And then she actually wrote me. She goes, eee, that was me, scroll up fart. Your true crime, real world challenge and Gwen loving friend. And she, there's a picture of me and her from the Challenge Mania podcast that I did oh, last year. Oh, that's so cool. So I just wanted to give her credit where credit was due because that is a perfect term for male roll-up parts. Yeah. So scrotum parts. I'm sure dudes parts. get them too. Yes, they do. They have to. Mm-hmm. Of course. It does feel kind of good when you get them. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh-huh. <laughs> So this week is our true crime, which I've been having a lot of fun with these, uh-huh. the true crime. So hopefully everyone else is enjoying listening too. Also, before you go in, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been writing us reviews or leaving us five stars. Greatly appreciate it. We love you for doing that. So some of them had mentioned the true crime. So I just wanted to say that. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, I'm kind of going with a theme right now of murderous moms. I'm still Starting out with one kind of uh, before I get into the heavier one that I want to cover that a listener actually asked me to cover um, because these are some really heavy ones. When you say the heavier ones, I always just think of like little kids getting murdered and it just breaks my heart. Yeah, they are some really disturbing ones that I'm going to cover. So I'll apologize for that in advance if uh, you don't want to hear about it. Okay, so I'm going to talk about Darlie Routier. Um, I'm sure a lot of people, if you were, you know, alive during this time, heard about it because it was quite a, a popular case. It was nationwide for sure. Uh, Darlie was married to Darren Routier. They were a young couple in their mid-20s. They had three children, six-year-old Devin, five-year-old Damon, and eight-month-old Drake. Darren was a very successful entrepreneur, so they had they had money. Like they lived pretty well off. Um, Darlie was a stay at home mom and um, he owned his own business where he repaired mainframe computers, which I don't know anything about, but I what, imagine. What year is this around? This was 1996. Okay. So he's like, he's really in with the technology at that point because there was computers, yes. but not like everybody had them like it is today. 
Yeah, it had said in, in the show that I watched, because there's several shows about this, that he had even was contracted by the government for okay. some things as yeah. well, too. So they were well off. They had a nice home, you know, made a nice living for themselves. On the night of June 6, 1996, in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, an intruder entered the home and attacked the two children and their mother, Darley. On the night of the attack, Darren was upstairs sleeping with the youngest, with the baby Drake. Downstairs in the family room, the two older boys fell asleep watching TV. Darley said she was asleep on the sofa. Around 2.30 a.m., an intruder stabbed the children and then woke Darley, put a knife to her throat, stabbed her, and attacked her too. She called 911 frantically. When paramedics arrived, six-year-old Devin was already dead. Five-year-old Damon was barely alive, but died en route to the hospital. So both of the boys did not make it. And it's awful, like, showing the pictures of these two little boys. They were just the cutest, sweetest little boys ever. Like, it just, I, I can't even fathom stabbing a five-year-old and a six-year-old. Like, I, I cannot. Not only that, but your own children? Well, we're not even saying that at this point. It's an intruder. Okay, but you kind of gave it away when you said I did, you're on yes. a murderous mama affair. But you know what? I'll wait till I get into all of that. So Darley was taken in the hospital and into surgery to repair her neck wound, which missed her carotid artery by only two millimeters. Mm. So it was a pretty significant stab wound to her neck. And if you look at pictures from the hospital, all these photos, her arms were severely bruised as well, too. So keep that in mind as we're going on with So all now you're this. trying to say that you were just lying and this isn't a murderous mama? You never know where I'm going with it, now do you? Um, she also suffered a stab wound to her arm, and paramedics noticed that her panties were missing. They asked her if she thought she had been raped, and she said when she woke up she had felt some pressure down there, but a rape test was negative. Darley described the attacker as a white male, about six feet tall, wearing black shirt, jeans, and a baseball cap. A screen in their garage had also been cut. Darley said the attacker dropped the knife on the floor as he fled. In the alley two houses away, police discovered a bloody sock. The motive didn't appear to be robbery because there was lots of jewelry laying out near where the attack occurred and nothing was taken. So it wasn't appearing like it was a robbery attempt that had gone bad or anything of that sort. The most prominent evidence they had at the scene was the blood. So Darren was asleep the whole time upstairs and said that he only awoke when he heard glass breaking. When he walked into the family room where the detectives were waiting for him, like later, like after the fact, after... Darley had been taken to the hospital and everything like that. The first thing out of his mouth to the detectives was not, how are my sons? How is my wife? It was, have you seen Darley? Isn't she beautiful? And doesn't she have gorgeous breasts? Okay. Which, again, is so odd to me. He was like... You just found out like two of your kids died. I mean, or he knew they had been stabbed. One of them he knew was, you know, dead for sure. He was like, I can see why someone would come in. A good-looking blonde, 38 double Ds. Oh, my God. And the police thought that that was really strange. It's very, it's disturbing strange. Yeah, considering the fact that he had just lost both of his sons and didn't know for sure if Darley was going to live or not. So I'm sorry. He knew that both of his sons were gone. Both of your sons have just died. Why are you talking about your wife's breasts? And the way she looks, none of that even matters, matters. at this point. Like, and I know that grief is a weird thing. Obviously, we know I've had my, you know, own experience of things. We talked about that in our last true crime. You know, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Or if you're in shock, there's no right or wrong way to act. Really, I do believe that. But if your sons just were brutally murdered, why are you talking about your wife's breasts? Yeah, I don't know about this one. Like, that is bizarre mm -hmm. to me in the kitchen one of the knives from their knife block was missing and it was the murder weapon a 10 inch kitchen knife blood spatter and droplets at the crime scene were photographed and sent for dna testing the size and shape of the blood droplets would be analyzed to see if they were consistent with darley's version of the events her nightshirt was also analyzed for evidence dna was done on the sock found and it was that of devon and damon the sock that was mm -hmm. found two houses away but it didn't make sense that an attacker would leave the murder weapon at the crime scene and then take a bloody sock and 
you know, not even dispose of it, just leave it in plain view, basically. So they're already starting to like, things aren't making sense to the detectives. And police found some other inconsistencies. Darley said she chased the attacker through the kitchen and he knocked a wine glass on the floor, but pieces of glass were on top of the blood drops on the floor and there was no cuts on Darley's feet. So either she was mistaken about what happened in the kitchen or she knew more than she was telling. Mm -hmm. A blood spatter expert was also asked to analyze the blood in the Routier home. He noticed the blood drops on the kitchen floor were circular in shape, meaning they were deposited by someone standing still or walking very slowly. Darley said she had been stabbed on the sofa and while bleeding ran through the kitchen after the attacker. But running would have left blood drops that had like a tail on them indicating the path and the direction of the person running. So that didn't add up as well either. She had also said that she dropped the knife on the kitchen floor and they found no blood evidence of that either. Like the the bloody knife would have made some type of blood impression on the floor and they didn't find that anywhere. And this was one show that I watched about it. There is many and the blood droplets and splatter is, is like really the only key evidence they have in this entire case. So there was a lot about, I won't, you know, bore everybody with talking about every last detail of all the inconsistencies or possible consistencies with the blood spatter because they talked a lot about that. Sure. So then they sprayed luminol in the kitchen and they found that some blood had been cleaned Mm. by the sink, including bloody footprints that were Darley's and evidence that she had stood there for a significant amount of time bleeding and not moving around in front of the sink. Blood drops on top of blood drops on the floor. So detectives believe that that was where that she cut her own neck and arm. Uh Because at this point, they're pretty much... At this point, they're now convinced that there was no intruder at this, and that Darley was uh, the main suspect. And then just eight days after the murder, the Routiers celebrated what would have been Devin's seventh birthday at the cemetery, and a family members invited a local TV news crew to attend. She was laughing, oh, spraying silly strings. I have seen this before. Yeah, saying the boys would have not wanted them to be sad, and everybody thought that it was just bizarre. Uh huh. Like, why is she laughing, chewing gum, spraying silly string? Like The silly string was a weird thing to me. Mm-hmm. And wasn't there a bunch of balloons too? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because I can – not that I really remember the story, but I remember the video proof at the cemetery. Of her laughing. Yeah, and, yep. and just being – Silly string? I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Who brings silly string to a cemetery one, especially when it's your own child? Well, and it was just eight days after, you know, this brutal, awful attack had happened. So I think that people did find it odd that she was laughing and, Mm -hmm. you know, spraying silly string and things like that. Now, to play devil's advocate here, I, I, I truly... Well, I, I won't even go into that yet. It did say that, you know, for an hour before that, they were crying and having like this big kind of like eulogy at his gravesite, but that wasn't you, shown. My son is only 13 months old, and if he got murdered, I would want to die. Yeah. Yeah. I would too. And I, this I don't is a think I'd be laughing, situation. but. Mm hmm. Yeah, but it, they did not show or televise that they were all grieving and crying for like an hour beforehand before this happened. So you could say that they were trying to spin it off to make her look. Yeah, but bad like too. eight days, eight days. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you can see anything as humorous or well, and such a brutal attack. Right, a I, brutal attack. It's too bizarre to me. Yeah, and again. You said, you know, you can grieve in different ways, but this one is, it doesn't add up. Yeah, it doesn't for me either. I I don't personally think that I would be laughing, spraying silly string personally as well either. So then forensics discovered the most damaging piece of evidence contradicting Darley's intruder story. On one of the bread knives from the Routier's kitchen, a single fiberglass rod and some rubber dust was found identical to the fiberglass screen on the garage window that had been cut. And it was put back. Yes. On Darley's nightshirt, they found cast-off blood spatter on the back of her right shoulder area, and DNA testing revealed the blood belonged to the two boys. The blood spatter was pointed upwards, consistent with a bloody knife in Darley's right hand. The forensic evidence told quite a different story than the one that Darley told police. Mm. An FBI profiler was even convinced that there was no intruder. Prosecutors believe that the murders were premeditated and Darley encouraged the boys to sleep in the living room that night. 
Sometime after 2 a.m., she cut the screen in the garage, returned the knife to the knife block with the evidence still on it, then used the largest knife she had to murder her two children. It was speculated she removed her panties to suggest a sexual assault. Standing at the kitchen sink, she turned the knife on herself, slicing her neck and her right arm. They believe the kids were in her way of the lifestyle that she wanted to live and her ambitions, that her husband didn't help, and she was overwhelmed. She was arrested and charged with the murder of her two sons. Darren denied that he was involved and no charges were filed against him. Darley was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. She is still on death row. And one of, I think, only 55 women in the United States that's on death row. So she was interestingly only charged with the murder of one of her sons, though. Um, Mm. I want to say it was the oldest. So I kind of started going down the rabbit hole with this a little bit because obviously they don't tell, you know, everything on one show. And I was like, I really want to see more about this because there are people out there who really believe that Darlie Routier is not guilty. She still professes her innocence to this day. So I came across this little article It said one crucial aspect of the defense case was the bloody sock found outside the house. While the police contended this was merely a ruse designed to falsely implicate an intruder had fled the scene, the defense contended that it proved Routier could not have committed the crime. Damon was alive when the paramedics arrived on the scene still, and the medical examiner testified that the boy could only have survived approximately eight minutes after receiving his injuries. But that makes me think that her husband was in on it. Routier was on the phone with 911 for almost six minutes. The defense argued that this did not leave enough time for her to cut herself, stage the crime scene, plant the sock outside the house, and then return before the paramedics arrived. They also stated that despite her injuries, Routier's blood was not found on the garage or anywhere outside the home. The prosecution countered that Routier could have planted the sock before self-inflicting her own injuries. So... And that Damon stabbing that like the timeline was only an estimation. So there's like so many different ways to look at this case. I also found an article in Rolling Stone where it was basically people that they think that aren't guilty and Darlie Routier was one of them. So I'd also found another article in Rolling Stone and basically it was, you know, people that are on death row or that they think are innocent still. Um, Because in 2002, a leading forensic anthropologist determined that a bloody fingerprint was found on the glass table that did not match anyone in the Routier family or anyone involved in the investigation, period. And what year was that that they? 2002. Okay. So maybe they could run that through now. Yeah. Her current appeal is pending further advanced DNA testing. So I think, you know, since DNA testing has advanced, you know, so much, they're trying to do everything Mm -hmm. she's had so many appeals that's why she's still on death row Mm -hmm. because she's had appeal after appeal and the state of texas has offered to reduce her sentence to life without parole if she would admit to guilt but she's refused so man i i just i don't know with this one if you look at the crime scene photos of her her arms are like black and blue so like defensive wounds yes and how could you how could you cut yourself to the point where you nearly it said it nicked her carotid artery as well, too, in one of the other articles I read. She could, and and if that would have happened, she would have bled out immediately. So I don't know. I've never stabbed myself. I'm never going to, but I can't imagine stabbing yourself to that point. Right. Like, to me, that's, that's a tough one. So then what's the alternative? That her husband did it or he hired somebody who did it? Like, maybe he cut the hole in the screen, put the knife back, and then that's how the person got into the house? I had also read a different article, and I wish I had this one pulled up. I don't because there's so many, that Darren, the husband, had, like, offered, you know, to pay somebody money to come break into the home because... The children had life insurance policies on them. So that's like a theory as well, too. But man, this one is so fucking tough for me because any way you look at it, any way you look at it, it's awful. These two boys were brutally murdered. I mean, I won't even go into some of the detail that some of these said of, of, of how they were stabbed. And that the youngest boy was still alive and, like, tried to wake his mom up. And that was one way that she woke up, too. Like, there seems to be some inconsistencies with some articles versus others. Mm -hmm. But, man, you don't want to think that a mom would even be capable of doing that to her own children. No, I watched – I don't remember the woman's name, but she had put her two kids in the backseat – 
Mm-hmm. And, and drove them into the water. Yeah. Yeah. And they were strapped into their, their car seats. And I got so mad at that because it's like just thinking about my own child. Like, how could you possibly be capable, be capable of doing that? And it, not that it's acceptable at any age because it's not, but at five and six years old, yeah, they're, they're just so, so innocent. Little. Yeah. And I, or to even think that the husband had something to do with it. Like, that's so He seems a little too. odd because of his commentary to the police officers right away. But then she still always seemed really odd to me because of that news coverage. Yeah, with the silly string. Like, ugh. And then I did read one article that said there was a man in the area that matched the description of the attacker as well, too. So... Could it be that had done yeah other that, things in the area like not that had done other things in the area but was in the area that matched the description that Darley had of the attacker so I mean is that far fetched too right like people are fucked up people are fucked up like maybe somebody did break in the house to do this like if this this one's this one's hard for me hmm. I don't want to believe that she was guilty of doing it but I mean they had all these forensic like blood spatter experts coming in there saying that it was inconsistent there was the blood that was removed you know that was wiped away why would you wipe away blood especially her footprints yeah the only thing i could think of is that her husband is in on it but why wouldn't she confess that he was the one who did it then right and especially the youngest son is still alive. He's like 25 years old now. Yeah, but he was a baby baby, right? He was a baby then. Yeah. But shoot, if you're capable of killing a five and a six-year-old, I don't think it, you, you'd you be not capable of killing a baby too. Maybe that was like, his favorite. Maybe. I don't know. This one's this one's really hard for me. Hmm. I want to watch some stuff on it now. Yeah. Well, she's still currently on death row. So, and I know she has like appeals in the works. She actually had some stuff that was supposed to be done this year but or last year shit it's 2021 now that was kind of slowed in the courts because of you know COVID and everything with 2020 she's still working on this case she is still maintaining her innocence yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna want to watch some stuff on this and see it myself too and maybe I'll have more of an opinion yeah that's the so the show that I watched you know that I was writing my notes from was Forensic Files but there's so many other shows oh, and Forensic Files are kind of I feel like they tend to leave out a lot of information. Yeah. I mean, if you go online and there's so many, there was a book written about this as well too. You know, there's a lot of information out there if you want to dive down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I think I'm going to. But this one, I remember this case when it happened. I was, you know, I was a teenager when this happened. I just remember seeing the picture of of these little boys and it just, it was so awful. To think that anybody, anybody is capable of doing that to a child. Yeah, I, I'm not going to cry. I know. It's, but I could. It's awful. Especially like when I watch those that are about children, I just sit there like bawling like a little kid. I just Oh, I do too. I've watched so many of these and just cried because, I, God, I think about my daughters at that age, like five and six years old. How? Mm-hmm. How? I just will never understand. And I guess that's why I don't want to believe that a mother is capable of doing that. But, I mean, she could. It's been done before, unfortunately. It, yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's been done before, unfortunately. So, Well, I, I will move on to another murderous woman. You got a theme going on we here. We do. This is about Margie Velma Bullard. She also – she mostly went by her name, Velma. There's also – you could look up Velma Barfield. Her, her name comes up that way, too. She was born – October 29th, 1932, in South Carolina, and she grew up in Fayetteville. She was the second of nine children to Lily and Murphy. There's a reason why I'm giving you all this backstory, because I think it proves what kind of person she ended up becoming, but... Nine children? Yep. And she was the second oldest. So she grew up during the Great Depression. Her grandparents and one of her aunts also lived with her in a house that had no electricity, toilets, or running water. Her aunt Susan was disabled from polio. She had like a shrunken, I don't know the right medical term for it, but her arm and her leg. So, you know, she was always having to help with that. Um, Her father Murphy was in the cotton and tobacco sales. He was not doing well financially with that. And eventually he ended up switching jobs and became a logger. And that allowed him to make more money. They moved on, got a better house. Then for work uh, for Murphy, they moved to North Carolina. And that same year, both of Murphy's parents passed away. So this would have been Velma's grandma and grandpa. He became a very angry drunk and he started 
physically abusing Velma. And her mother Lily saw the abuse, but she didn't do anything about it because she too had been an abuse survivor and she was scared of Murphy and was scared that she was going to hurt her or he was going to hurt her. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Especially if you've gone through it, you're just going to sit back and let this happen to your child? Yeah. Like, protect your fucking children. So Velma grew up and really resented her mother for this, obviously. Yeah. Velma and her older brother, Olive, hated each other. He thought that their dad favored Velma and that Olive got more of the abuse growing up. And Velma thought it was obviously reversed and she also thought that olive was loved by her mother more so they had kind of like a love-hate relationship in 1939 when velma was seven years old she started school and she really liked school because it allowed her to have an escape from home but at school she started getting bullied because of her clothing and the food that she had brought from home oh that's sad and what year was this uh, this was 1939 Jeez, when she was seven. Kids have always been bullies in school that long. Just shitheads. She started stealing money so she could get things that she needed. And eventually she started moving on and stealing coins from her dad. And um, she stole $80, which in 1939. Was a lot that's of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. She stole $80 from a neighbor and her father found out and he beat her so bad. She had stated that she never thought about stealing again. Velma was supposed to take care of her siblings. Um, she also was supposed to work on the family farm. She has been quoted as saying she felt like a slave. She had to cook every meal. She even would leave school early so she could get her home chores completed. And it's like, oh what kind gosh. of life is that for a child? I mean, yeah. fucking stop having children. Nine kids? Yeah. Velma was the only female child in her family for a while, so her dad, obviously this is until her younger sister was born, but he started, he would spoil her sometimes, and then it led to sexual abuse from him, so he started oh, touching her inappropriately. No. She was made to sleep in her parents' bed until high school. Ugh. As a mother, I just... Yeah. Like, did the mom know that was going on? You ha There's no way you wouldn't know that. Yeah. If you're sleeping in the same bed. Ugh. So yucky. At school, she joined the basketball team and was really enjoying that. But soon she had to quit because her mother had twins and mommy needed help at home. So now Velma is home all the time. She's 13 years old. And this is when her father actually started raping her. Ugh. At school, she fell in love with a guy named Thomas Burke, and she asked her father for permission to date him, but he said not until she turned 16 years old. So on her 16th birthday, she has to go out and date with him, and she was allowed to, but it had to be a double date, and she had to be home by 10 p.m. Why? Because there's monsters out there that's going to rape her? Like, you, you piece of shit father? Yeah. Like, what? He probably didn't want her to be with... Move on. Move, right, mm -hmm. yeah. Ugh, sick. When Velma was 17 years old, Thomas proposed to her, and against her father's wishes, they got married and ran away together. Thomas did not want Velma to work, so she was able to stay at home. But the thing I found most ridiculous was they still continued to go to the same church as Velma's parents. Now, if I went through all of that shit that my parents put me through, I would be so far removed from them. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd pick a different church. Was that the only church around? I mean, I wouldn't be in the same city. I would yeah. be gone. December 15th, 1951, Velma gave birth to her first son, Ronald. And then two years later, she had a daughter named Kim. She loved her children. People said that she was just an amazing mother, like would do anything for them. The only thing is she wanted her children to be very religious. She started teaching Sunday school classes herself. Once her children were older, she was a school volunteer and she would even give kids rides home. And it, it is said that like people thought she was the cool mom, which I thought was cute. Like, yeah. okay, her life's getting better here, right? Eventually she needed to get a job because Thomas was struggling. So she started working at a textile factory and she would work from midnight to 8 a.m. so she could be home for her children, which like, dude, oh my that's crazy. Thomas eventually became a delivery driver for Pepsi and he started making good money. So they moved into a really nice home. In her early 30s, Velma started developing health issues and needed a hysterectomy, and she also had severe back pain. Because of all the pain, she started changing. She also felt that she was no longer an adequate woman because she didn't. She had a hysterectomy, which I think is sad to think that. And because of her changing uh, 
mentally, I think. Her husband started drinking heavily and then they started fighting. He'd stay out late. She started resenting him. 1965, he got into a car accident and then happened again in 1967. He got a DUI. He lost his driver's license. He was arrested. Then because of all that, he lost his job and he became severely depressed. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine. So what does he start doing? He starts beating his son, Ronald. Oh, no. He threatened to kill Ronald with a knife, and Velma saw what was going on, and she was so worked up about it, she fainted. Ronald came over, helped his mom, got her to a hospital. She she probably had PTSD about it. I would would imagine so. Yeah. She stayed in the hospital for a week. They placed her on sedatives, among other meds, for her stress. She was prescribed Librium, which is is a benzodiazepine, so like an anti-anxiety medication. Like a Xanax. And then eventually she became addicted to that. She started going to other doctors to get more medications without the other doctors knowing. Then she added Valium into the mix. April 1st, 1969, Velma's house caught on fire. Both kids were at school and Velma was at the laundromat. But Thomas was drunk and fell asleep with a lit cigarette and this caused the fire and he died in that fire of smoke inhalation. Oh, wow. They ended up moving in with Velma's parents until they could get insurance money for a new home, which I would never expose my children to monsters like my parents. No. If that's what they did. I. <sighs> that same year, Velma was introduced to one of her coworkers, Jennings Barfield. He also was a recent widower, and they had both lost their spouse within that year. August 23rd, 1970, they got married. So a little over a year that her husband passed away. And how old are her kids at this point? Actually, the son graduated high school because he graduated salutatorium. I didn't say it because I didn't really think it mattered that much to the story. But so probably right out of high school and still in high school. So like a sophomore, senior or junior, first year out. So old, old enough. Teenagers. Yeah, teenagers, not like young. Uh, So they got married. Jennings had emphysema and diabetes. So basically, Velma was his caretaker. Velma started getting more addicted to the medications. And soon after their wedding, she overdosed and was hospitalized. Jennings had found her, took her to the hospital, and seeing Velma in that shape freaked him out. He told his own family that he was concerned that he married a druggie. So they ended up separating, but she promised to stop taking drugs and they got back together. But... Three months later, Velma overdosed again. Jennings was just upset about her, upset about the relationship. And one month later, Velma was distraught and mad at Jennings and how she felt he didn't want her anymore. So she poisoned Jennings with arsenic. Oh. He had trouble breathing. He was vomiting and had diarrhea. And over time, because he was poisoned, he got more and more sick and he eventually died. But his death was ruled as heart failure. Oh. Velma overdosed again not long after that. This time she spent three weeks in the ICU. She lost her job and couldn't afford the mortgage any longer. And mysteriously enough, her house caught on fire and burned to the ground. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, her daughter Kim moved in with Murphy and Lily, which again, fuck that shit. That year, her father passed away, and which I would be doing my little happy dance. <laughs> this unfortunately made Velma really depressed, which... I obviously am not a victim of physical or sexual abuse from my parent, but what a fucked up thing that like his well, death doesn't release you from everything that you went through. Instead, it it puts you into a downward spiral. That makes me so sad. It was probably one of those things where she never had any closure from it. Yeah. And it just made it worse because maybe in her head somewhere she was always hoping for some like type an of apology or apology or closure. And then when he died without that, it, yeah, it could cause a whole whole new set of, of issues. It's just sad. Very sad. So what she started doing was uh, having three different doctors prescribing her medications. And in March of 1972, she was arrested because they eventually caught up with her that she was forging prescriptions. She pled guilty and got a suspended sentence, which they usually give to somebody who's like a first-time offender, especially if it's not like that severe of a crime. Yeah. So basically, she had probation and had to pay a fine. She started stealing from her mother. She was forging her name. Uh, She took out a $1,000 loan 
in her mother's name. And she also, to get that loan, used her mother's house as collateral, which I'm st- I'm still not mad about this one. Like, I would do so much bad shit to my parents if they did this to me. Well, yeah, especially if her mom knew about the abuse and didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. Not that it's a good thing, but I just know me. She did this again months after for another $1,000 loan and also wrote five bad checks that happened to be attached to a checking account to Jennings' bank account, which was closed. The loan company set out an ov- sent out an overdue notice to her mother's house, and instead of confessing, Velma decided to kill her mother. Oh my gosh. She bought arsenic and rat poison in another state. And she gave her mother a dose of the poison. Then when she fell ill, she took her to the hospital, which I think is funny. Like, wouldn't you just let her kind of die then if you wanted to kill her? But her mother soon got better. That same summer, Velma started dating a man, but he was soon killed in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. Suspicious. Be suspicious. Yeah. Velma was his life insurance beneficiary. Oddly enough. She received $5,000. And so once she received that money, Velma's mother was like, hey, remember that overdue loan that you took out? Um, can you pay on it? And then her mother surprisingly fell ill again because Velma poisoned her. Yeah, I was going to say shocker. She had diarrhea, uncontrollable vomiting. So Velma called for an ambulance. Then she rode in the back of the ambulance with her mother on the way to the hospital. But this time her mom did not make it. Velma agreed to an autopsy, but they found no signs of poisoning. Because they probably weren't looking for it, right? Yeah, and what it—that's an poisoning is an awful way to die, too. Oh God! Like how terrible. Ugh. One month later, Velma moved in with her daughter and son-in-law. The cops showed up at the door to confront her about the bounce checks. She couldn't repay the debt, so what does she do? But she tries to overdose. While she was trying to overdose, she fell and broke her collarbone. They found her, put her in the hospital, and then she recovered. After she got better, they sent her to a correctional center for women in Raleigh, North Carolina. She only served four months and was released for good behavior. Not because of these murders, because of the bounce checks and the forging. So it's like, can you imagine like knowing that you're sent to this correctional center and you've done way worse? Way worse, yeah. 1975, Kim called Velma's doctors and pleaded with them to stop giving her mother prescriptions for the medications because she had stolen from Kim's husband, Dennis, and was forging checks so she could buy the medication. Velma moved and got uh, free room and board plus $75 a week because she moved in as a caretaker to a man named Montgomery Edwards. He was 93 years old. His wife, Dolly, also lived there, but she was too elderly and couldn't help take care of him, so she obviously hired a caretaker. Montgomery was blind and had had both legs amputated. Dolly thought Velma was slacking at her job, and this caused a ripple in their relationship. And on January 29th, 1977, Montgomery died. So what do you think happened there? He was poisoned. February 28th, so one month later, Velma went and bought some more poison and wanted to poison Dolly. Dolly had the same symptoms as her previous victims. Um, Velma got her to the hospital, but she got better within three days. But the day after she was released, she died. Velma started working for a new couple, John and Record Henry. They, too, were an elderly couple. After she started working there, Velma started forging checks under the couple's names. Record found a forged check and told John to call the cops. But the case went nowhere because the cops could not figure out who had forged the the name on the check. Velma forged... <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating myself so much here. Velma forged a check in John's name, but she had a plan this time. He wouldn't find out. She decided to... Poison him. Poison him. This lady is crazy. She, she's got a plan for everybody. How many people has she poisoned now? Too many. Yeah. So because of his symptoms, doctors assumed he had a virus, but eventually he died, and the cause of death was a heart attack. How does Velma keep getting away with all this? Because I don't think they're looking for poison. Oh, my God. Because I'm assuming your, like, organs start shutting down, and then that's what they're looking for. Velma moved in with a man named Stuart Taylor. Why is he so significant? Well, he was the nephew of Montgomery and Dolly. Stuart was an alcoholic, but he loved that Velma was such a religious woman. But he got mad at her when he found out she had spent time in the clink. So what does Velma do? Poisons him. Well, she starts her ridiculous cycle of forging checks. Then, you guessed it. My God. Poisoned him. The day she poisoned him, he had surprised Velma with a chance to see Rex Humbert at the Civic Center, which is like our Wayne Brady. I don't know who to compare him to, but like a showman. 
Okay. And they sat in their chairs and he started feeling sick and thought he had food poisoning. So he left to go to the car and she stayed, watched the whole show until it was over and then met him at the car and then she drove home. The next morning, Velma called his daughter Alice and told her about Stuart's condition. They both agreed he must have the flu. Two days later at the hospital, they diagnosed him with gastritis and gave him medications and sent him home. Two days later, his health declined again. Velma called a neighbor and asked him to call the paramedics. When the paramedics got there, the room was filled with vomit and diarrhea, and Stuart soon died. Jeez. They were confused as to his cause of death, so they wanted to do an autopsy. So Alice, who is Stuart's daughter, asked Velma what to do, and Velma said, you must do an autopsy or else you will always wonder. So... She knew she wasn't going to get caught, right? Well, she had not been caught before uh-huh. when they did the autopsy, so I'm pretty sure she had confidence. She's playing And how many people has she fucking poisoned now? <laughs> like, nobody put one in one and together. Been like, this many people have died the same way in the hands and care of this woman. Oh, my God. Velma and Ronald sat next to Alice at Stuart's funeral. Ronald said to Alice, You know, it's the saddest thing, but everybody my mother gets close to dies. How can this happen to such a Christian woman? The same day, an anonymous tip came in to the police station that a woman caller knew Velma and she knew that Velma had killed her husband and others. The police wanted evidence, but she was able to not give any specific details, but she was crying, and they asked, like, how could you know all of this? And she said, it's because I'm Velma's sister. The cops called the hospital to find out if anybody had recently died, and they found out that Stuart Taylor had died, but they were waiting on the autopsy results. The autopsy results had concluded that he had died from gastroenteritis and the doctor wanted to investigate further. So what he wanted to do is take a sample of Stewart's liver tissue and have an examiner look at that specifically because he also thought he was a healthy man and they didn't think that, the doctor didn't think that that could add up. So the, the chief examiner- spectrometer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. Isn't that what they use for poison testing? I don't know. I think it is. You're supposed to know that. It's your big word. (laughs) The chief examiner got the samples. They wanted to know more information surrounding the case, and the detectives talked to them. He described that Velma had brought Stewart into the hospital and also what Stewart's symptoms were. The chief examiner stated bluntly, where did Velma get the arsenic? So this examiner was like on their Mm -hmm. shit. They ran the test, and here they found he had arsenic in his body. They went to Velma, brought her in for questioning. She was questioned for three hours. Three days later, Velma attempted suicide, but Ronald was there, and he helped her, so she was not successful. She made a confession that day. She actually did, like, a written confession. She was arrested and stood on trial. Her attorney was able to get her her prescribed medications in jail. Um, And then they wanted to also plead her insane, but they found out that she was competent to stand trial. So in November of 1978, the trial started on the murder of Stuart Taylor. While on the stand, she confessed to killing Dolly, Montgomery, and John. She only wanted to make them feel sick not to kill them, is what she said. Okay. Okay, Velma. One week later, the jury found her guilty of murder, and she was sentenced to death by lethal injection. She was on death row in Raleigh, North Carolina. She was the only woman there. Now she was clean of all her drugs. She became super religious and world-renowned Billy Graham and his wife would visit her. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because of your dad, right? No, my in-laws. Okay. Former in-laws, I guess. I don't know how you call it. So... She got nicknamed Mama Margie and Death Row Granny. Ronald came in, asked if she had killed his dad, and she said she doesn't remember, but probably. Soon she admitted leaving the door closed and leaving the lit cigarette in there. So, yep, she killed him. Wow. Her execution date was set for November 2nd, 1984. She was told to think of this as a gateway to heaven. She got to have a last phone call with Billy Graham. She did also go through the appeal process, but she got denied every time. Yeah, because she poisoned like 50 people. Her last meal was cheese doodles and a Coke. She also had final communion. She put on an adult diaper under her PJs. I like that. While she was about to get injected, she had apologized for all the hurt she had caused. And she had like this whole long written out thing. I wasn't going to repeat it because whatever. Before she actually went in for the lethal injection, she had written a bunch of letters to the victim's families, but none of the victim's family members would take the letters. And she was actually the first woman ever to die by lethal injection. 
Wow. So that was a bit of a long one. I thought I was just going to have a nice little uh, quickie one. And I'm like, holy shit. Like when I was in it, I was in it. But yeah, she had an MO. I just can't believe it took people that long to catch on to it, considering how many people she murdered. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, they were related. Yeah. That was even crazier to me. That's wild. <sighs> yes. So, my lord, just keep on killing people, Velma. Yeah, what the hell? And it was almost like she wanted to be stopped, though, when she was, like, saying, like, yes, get the autopsy, go for it. She was like, come on, bring it on. Either she wanted to get caught or she was just, or thought that she was invincible. Yeah. You know. All right. So um, I have a suggestion from Courtney. It says, hi, ladies. I was listening to one of your podcasts talking about sleepwalking. I think this could be a great topic. I have a couple crazy stories I will share too. I have a lot. I'm not going to share them. I will save it, but I thought we could do sleepwalking. Yes, I love that. Okay. So if you have any sleepwalking stories, send them in. BlondeMomentsPodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. We can slide in our DMs. I mean, maybe we should do a mixed bag of nuts before then. We'll see. We'll see what kind of stories you guys send us. <laughs> you know we're always here for it. We, we love them all. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a topic we've never talked about before, we still love it. I mean, think about all the topics we have to cover still. Mm-hmm. The limit does not exist. <laughs> Mean Girls. I still love that movie. My kids love that movie, too. Hell yeah. I want my pink shirt back. It's timeless. All right. Well, that was a heavy, heavy one. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to end with our little blonde joke here. Bring me the laughter. Bring it back. A blonde asked her coworker, do you have any kids? Yes, she replied. I have one child that's just under two. The blonde said, I might be blonde, but I know how many one is. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) 